1: Welcome to 20 Questions on Deadline. I'm Antonia Blythe, senior awards editor. My guest this week is Marsha Gay Harden. Most recently, she was Emmy nominated for her guest role on limited series, The Morning Show. Over her storied career, she's won an Oscar for playing Lee Krasner in the film Pollock and was later Oscar nominated for her role in Mystic River. She also won a Tony for her work in the play God of Carnage. Her latest film, Confess Fletch, is in theatres starting today. Harden stars opposite John Hamm in a reworking of the Fletch story originally led by Chevy Chase. Harden also has a TV series coming out called So Help Me Todd, in which she plays Joan, an attorney and mum to her hapless private eye son, Todd, played by Skylar Astin. The show premieres on CBS on September 29th, and will stream on Paramount+. Plus. Marsha Gay Harden, welcome to 20 Questions on Deadline. So I am really wanting to chat about two things, especially before we get started on the 20 questions. Sure. Your new movie, which is out today, Confess Fletch. Yes. It's exciting. How does it feel? It's in theaters tonight. You know, it feels um, oddly distant because I'm in Vancouver. And
0: I love to go to the openings and the premieres and celebrate. And I feel a little bit distant from the film. I, I don't know how um, you know, how it's doing or what people say. But what I love to I love being there and I'd love to be there and celebrate with John. And I loved my character. I loved, thought that she was so much fun to play, the Italian Contessa. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to be there and celebrate with him. It's you know, it's an interesting thing he's doing to take on this sort of sort of conglomerate, this 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 movie that's so well known with Chevy Chase and John to fit into it and sort of a light, fun detective. And I think he's
1: great. I think he's great at it. So um, the reviews have come in and I, I they've been really positive, but I've noticed that people have said, oh, you know, this is quite a different uh, Fletch tonally Mm -hmm. from what Chevy Chase did. It's a little more serious, but at the same time you and I talked before about how much fun you had playing this role, doing this kind of super exaggerated Italian countess. So it's it's a a different vibe to the original, right? But tell us about your experience.
0: I think it is because Chevy Chase was known for a certain kind of comedy, right? So his comedy is more... I describe it as like wetter, but that's not a, that's not very great for, for people who are listening. It's more um, broad comedy. It's more physical comedy. It's more, I think, in the original Fletches, they sort of pointed to it in a way. So it's like an inside joke with the audience. John is a drier. John is just a drier person. And it's still an inside joke, but I feel audiences have, um, audiences have progressed or they're in a different way. They're in a different place now. What they expect or look for in a film is different. So I would hope it's a different tone. Like nobody wants a museum piece. And whether people like the new tone or not, that's their their choice. But I would think it probably is a different tone. For me, it was just she was just wonderful and silly and she had the accent and she was so sexy. And she was always you know, she was she was always like kind of a moving of her body because she was sexy. And it was so much fun to be in that to, to work with the voice and speech coach from Italy who would, we would zoom on the, on the um, I would be outside my upstate home in New York. And the kids would come by, you know, mom, we have got to go to the store. And I'd be like, I am working right now. And they would hear her, you know, on the, on the other side, just us doing this Italian. It was kind of like a moment from, it felt like I was in a movie myself when I was getting ready to, when I was preparing to make the movie. It was a lot of fun. And, you know, Greg, I think I told you that Greg had called me to play her because it was in the middle of COVID and they needed to to contest that They were going to cast an Italian. And I said, "Um, I can't, I'll be killed. I can never play an Italian. And you know, you have to cast a real Italian. And he said, no, it's COVID. We can't get one. She, They can't come over on the plane. So could you please do it? I said, of course. So that's why I studied so hard to play her. Listen, I have not read really, the reviews. I might have been creamed. They might have said she's abominable. She played, you know, she's horrible. Her accent is insanely ridiculous. And no, definitely not. But it's, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I don't really care. Like, I mean, I do care. You always care a little bit. But I had so much fun kind of trying to embody her and, and learning about Contesses and, I wanted her to be, mine to be a little more grand, kind of like an opera. Like in m- my first thought of her was like, one of those women who just, you look like a contest. Her hair is like big and grand. And they're like, no, they, they look like you. They look like you, Antonia. The they contestants look like you. They're beautiful, modern, easy hair, not overdone in makeup. They're just, they look like you. Is there something you need to
1: tell us about your past life? I mean, I mean, I have the name to go with it, but unfortunately, <laughs> I'm just really boringly English. Sorry. It's a real try. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I can't wait to see Confess Fletch. So um, it's good. It sounds like it's going to be a riot, especially your character. So I also have had a chance to watch So Help Me Todd, mm. your new TV show. Oh. And I absolutely love your character in the show. You're this mom who's also kind of quite serious at work, but just exasperated and had enough of the kind of faintly useless son that she's yes. landed with. Yes. But he also becomes kind of more bonded to her during the show. And I, I did ask you this last time I saw you, but um, I was really curious about how your real... Mum, son stuff played out on screen because you're a yeah. mother to, to sons completely um, differently and, and how close yeah. you are to your co-star Skylar yeah Aston because I feel like you kind of I see you talking to each other on Instagram and I just think oh that's so cute they're really close we
0: actually are really close he's so incredibly talented and we call it dance. it's so much fun to dance with him to to play with him to do the rhythms with him and he's a genius with ad-libs as well. I'm not so much, but I sometimes you just have to be quiet for a little while because he's going to do these wonderful ad-libs and play. Uh, he's really fabulous, both comedy, but it coming down and being serious. And my son is nothing like um, Todd. Todd is basically ADHD. So it, any, any parent who's had an ADHD kid and any kid who is that realizes it's so frustrating. Because you can't take it personally, but you ask for something and it simply doesn't get done. Or it gets done in a completely different way than you would have ever thought. What they have is this incredible amount of whimsy and creativity. So that's Margaret's, you know, Margaret's type A and Todd is type Z. So they're constantly in battle. I love Skylar. He makes me laugh and we'll just do little, it's like little riffs all the time. Little character riffs that will become, you know, I, it's hard to even describe like little things with sound or little mm, 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 little come on honey and then he has the perfect rejoinder the it's just a perfect it's a really good match we're really happy working together and we both get to do as the, as these series progress, we both get to do physical comedy we both get to do serious stuff we both get to do heartwarming stuff um we just shot a scene uh, where a where um, podcasts are helping us solve a crime and it's very interesting because on the day that we started shooting it they the um i think his name is ad adnan Sayez sayes you know the yeah yeah yep. yeah from Serial the story from yeah, yeah. they yeah. vacated apparently he's they're vacating his you know he's gonna get out or they're gonna retrial it
1: oh I yeah. didn't know that.
0: Yeah. I know that people have been campaigning a long time. Yeah, for a long time. And so that's kind of mm. the impetus for this one that we're doing right now is how podcasts can can help. But Margaret knew nothing about podcasts. So once she discovers the podcast, she goes down the rabbit hole of, oh, my God, did you know that the woman and, you know, and wherever someone ate their children, like, whatever. She's like just down the rabbit hole. Of the horror, and I'm like, that's so much fun. It was so much fun to do, to to just to, to play
1: with what they're giving us, and then it ends. You know, you with know your, sweet. Your character is so funny because she's like everyone's parents. Um, of of this generation are a little bit like, what's TikTok? Yep, and she calls it what does she call talk, it? Talk talk Tok Tok. What is talk talk? Are yeah. you? Yes, are you um, more tech savvy than that in your own life? Oh, Antonia, please! I wish. <laughs> I, I, you know, it was.
0: This is a very interesting thing. It was a fine line with Margaret. She is not tech savvy, but she's smart. So she, we're discovering. You know, I'm trying to discover with the writers. Wh- what is that comic line? It's not that you don't know what TikTok is, but you might mispronounce it. And she certainly mispronounces names of people in movies and the, in television, but she wouldn't begin to know how to press the buttons to put it together. Or why are there seven remotes for a television set? Like, what is that about? You know, she just, like my generation, she doesn't get it. And it's too many names. It's too many options. There's too many options. And she's used to something more analog, Right. Not digital, and he's digital. So, yes, it's, I definitely have those conversations with my kids. I have called my kid in, he was in school in Michigan, I think in a dance class, and I called him to help me figure out how to turn the TV on pretty much. I I said, Mom,
1: I love that. I'm going to write
0: it down for you. I'm like, No, but there's like, you have to hit this button, then you have to hit this button, then you have to go to this on the smart TV. But it's not so smart because it's not, you know, like you can talk to the remote. And I'm like, where's
1: the button? I mean, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. You're laughing because you're twelve. It is a lot. No, it is a lot. I'm, I'm just trying not to like completely drown you out with my laughter. So I'm trying to laugh silently, you know, it's but you're really making you're me laugh.
0: Like twelve, and so you. To this is very <laughs> completely you know, second Um, nature to you.
1: Marsha Gay, I love that you think I'm 12. (laughs) I, yeah, add add about 30 years to that, but thank you. Um, (laughs) Are you ready to play 20 questions? Are you up for it? Yes. Okay. So first of all, what's your favorite thing about your current project? And you can pick whatever current project you like, because there's obviously more than one.
0: Well, I think my most current project is um, is so help me Todd, and what I'm loving the absolute most is the humor, the physical humor, the the just finding the humor of the piece with the actors. That is delicious and joyful, and I love
1: it. Brilliant. Um, what was the moment you realized you wanted to act? Well. Do you remember a crystal clear moment? I remember two
0: moments, and they're so far apart. One, I was nine or ten years old on the porch in Japan, where my dad was stationed as a naval officer, and we would put on plays for the neighborhood, set up chairs, sell popcorn, and hang quilts for the curtains. And we were doing The Princess and the Pea. But we had extended the script a little bit. And for some reason, I was delivering a cake. And I was with another, my sister, and, his, and the cake was heavy. And I kind of had acted like, oh, it's heavy. And somebody laughed. And that was like, <laughs> I drew in a gleeful breath. And then took over the entire cake from the person who was helping me carry it and struggled my way up on top of a chair to stand with a heavy cake and for you know, literally a minute upstaged everything with the physical comedy. And I remember thinking, this is fun. And the more they laughed, the more I was in heaven. <laughs> so that's that one. Then my dad was stationed in Greece when I was much older. And I'd gone to um, school there in Greece, and I would see the plays at Epidavros or the Atticus, which is beneath the Parthenon. These beautiful plays, and I thought that this sort of like crying to the gods. the The emotion was so big, whether it was joy or whether it was tragedy, it was just enormous. And for a seventeen year old kid, that's what emotion felt like at the time. Enormous, you know, the ups and downs were enormous. And I thought, I think I want to do this. I really think I want to do this. That's when I first decided I wanted to. And then I committed to the decision, Mm -hmm. you know, after that.
1: I think um, a lot of people say that I've asked, you know, when did they know that a lot of them say the thing about making someone laugh. It's sort of immediate gratification.
0: And you realize that something you did had the power to elicit a reaction from somebody else. And whether it's laughter or, you know, in Angels in America, we could hear the audience gasping. We could hear when in the scene where two people have unprotected sex. We had people in the audience, gay men, stand up and yell, no, no, no. We had people who were, who were dying? Who were coming to see the play, and they had been affected and hurt, you know, by the by AIDS. And so it was it's, it's an astonishing thing when you when you realize that. I remember once I was doing, you know, an all uh, theater in in Maryland. It was Summerstock Theater, and I was playing Babe in Crimes of the Heart, and she's sitting on the roof of a building crying. And one of the ladies in the audience stand up and said, honey, stop that crying. It'll be okay. And they just that fourth wall disappeared. You know, that was it's, it's pretty intoxicating.
1: Those people were really there with you. They really bought it. It's just extraordinary, isn't it? Our next question is did you have an early childhood inspirational figure in your life? My mom. My dad was often at sea
0: and while he was definitely the person who ran the house and home, my mother was just this. Um, to this day, she inspires me completely. She raised five kids. She traveled with five kids. She was always kind. She was artistic. It was my mom. We weren't allowed to watch TV, really, because we lived in all over. And we, you know, again, because you're four, um, you won't remember. <laughs> but, you, but there was like Sunday Disney, I think Disney started at 7.30 on Sunday nights. And we could sort of watch for half an hour to an hour. We really didn't watch TV. There was one TV in the house. And it's such a completely different generation and a different world for kids right now where it's not just watching what's on network. It's watching streaming and cable. And by the way, not in a family setting, in their bedroom, on their computer, because they have they have access to story 24-7, right? So then we were just... We would only have access once a week, sit down and do it. So in terms of the people who influenced me, my mother was really, really my inspiration.
1: You know, I grew up in an era in which TV was what you did as a family, too. You know, we had no smartphones. And in England, we had four TV channels. Oh, right. That was it. Yeah. So, yeah, it was very like it was an event when you sat down to watch the show together.
0: I, well, I miss the storytelling, the, the enjoying the storytelling together. So when, a, when something like Game of Thrones comes on or Succession or something, that all the family goes, let's watch this together. No, you can't get ahead of me. It's kind of fun because everyone's in the same story. And that, when you're in your bedroom on your own with the computer, it's not the same. It's, it's good. I, I'm glad we have so much story, but I do miss the
1: family. posters you had on your bedroom wall as a child or teenager we weren't allowed to have posters first of all until i was
0: maybe 16 um, and there was one pink floyd and there was one parliament (laughs) which is funkadelic music Um, Oh, I was going to say, what, like the cigarettes? No, no. It was (laughs) was part of it. It was this (laughs) funkadelic band. And I just remember everything being like really groovy in this poster. And then there was a Pink Floyd poster. And there was one more. Um, Was it maybe Beatles? Maybe Beatles. Um, My dad was very threatened by rock music and by the rock movement. You know, he was in the Navy. And when we were living in Japan, the sailors were starting to grow their hair out and grow beards and, um, smoke. And the, and the, my dad was very, you know, goddamn hippies was pretty much how he thought about it. And it, it, so that, in, that influenced us, all of us, we wanted to be hippies more than anything in the world. You know, because <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but
0: we, were you a hippie? Well, I am. I mean, you you can't really tell because I look like a little misconservative, but in my own home upstate in New York, um it's all about my Birkenstocks um my the the pottery wheel and the kiln that I have, the garden that I put in, kayaking on the lake. I mean, it's just a very. It's a, it's pretty much hippie. The drug part of hippie, no. And I, I never was. I'm I'm a paranoid person, so getting high is not an attractive experience with me. <laughs>
1: but um, yeah, yeah. I relate. Yeah, <laughs> paranoid, highly strong. Yeah, highly. Strung. These are the things that creative people experience. Yeah. especially if you're an actor, it's like yeah. you can't just go. Oh well.
0: So I'll do it. I'll try it. I'll be <laughs> like. This is not fun. This is not fun. I (laughs) want to have fun.
1: Um, What was the first movie you ever saw in a theater? Well, it's a movie about a cat. And I want
0: to say the name is like Esmeralda or something.
1: Tomasina. That was it. Okay. So you saw that in the movie theater. Well, I don't
0: know why that's the one they took us to, but that's what
1: we saw, and I just remember crying
0: and crying and thinking it was so powerful. Then there was one shortly after that. My mother would take us to the, um, to the, uh, drive-in, and we saw something like young monkeys or go monkeys, go young monkeys, something monkeys. Then in Japan, we saw Young Billy Young, and we fell in love with the cowboys and how sexy they were. Um. And then at some point, I don't remember when or where, we saw Sound of Music. Oh, that's a
1: great childhood movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What was a TV or film character you wanted to be? Rowdy Yates. And I wanted to be Clint Eastwood.
0: I I wanted to be his character, Rowdy Yates in Rawhide. The way he swaggered, (laughs) the way he was so cool the way he was so sexy, the way he gave nothing away. I mean, I'm someone who wears my emotions on my sleeve, under my arm, down my butt. Like, you know what I'm thinking. There's almost no mystery about me whatsoever. That makes me so sad. I really want to be a mysterious person, but I'm just not. He was so cool, calm, and collected. And I was in love with him so much
1: I wanted to be him. How old were you at the time? You 10, think? 11, 12. I just love that that at that age you, you related to him, to his character. That's brilliant. And I also love that you eventually ended up working closely with Clint Eastwood in, as you know, one of my favourite films of all time, Mystic River, which is just... In fact, I ran into um, Kevin Bacon's daughter at, uh, at the Emmys um Sosie Bacon the actress and I was telling her how much I I just absolutely love that movie and I told her I was talking to you and we were just saying how it's just so it's such a great solid brilliant film um I love that you ended up working with Clint me too it's
0: based on a book so it's interesting because most times when I read a book I'm like hmm Mm, the movie's not going to be better because there's so many details in the book you're not going to get to. But in this case, I feel like the visuals and the performances and the, the, um, the, the inception of it, the, the creation of it is actually no respect to Dennis Lehane, but, but as good, if not better, like it just
1: elevated it again. It was amazing. Absolutely. Um, What about uh, the weirdest job you've ever had? Working my way, you know, up in New
0: York, trying to be an actor. I was hired by a department store that's no longer there um, to squeeze cheese on crackers and demonstrate, (laughs) to demonstrate (laughs) out for the passing, people passing by this it was like a cookie squeezer but it was made for cheese could squeeze designs and then offer people tastes
1: of that those crackers with my designs I mean, on them. what what designs did you do that's so brilliant the
0: starburst the they're like cookie designs the the squiggles
1: the zigzags marcia gay harden cheese decorator <laughs> queen of cheese cheese squeeze <laughs> <laughs> oh my god okay um the last time that you cried
0: this morning on set for sure we just did a scene but is this on the uh, the show or yeah on this show yeah um you know the characters yeah. cry and, and i mean there's like emotional scenes and we do but the last time i saw would be probably my mom passed away not on the moment but the aftermath, you know, it's funny how grief works and how it just, in the moment, you're handling a thousand things. And funerals are genius because they just distract you, right? You've got to figure through this, figure that, throw the part, throw the like gathering, thank all the people who are there at the end, and all of those things you have to do keep you away from it. And then all of a sudden, you sit down and you have a glass of wine, and everything goes to hell in a handbasket. It's just when you lose a parent, it, for me. It, it's after the loss is just the grief. And so that was the that was the last time. But Antonia, I am a commercial crier as
1: well. I do cry at commercials. <laughs> I mean, secretly I am too, but I'm just gonna have our producer edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, you are packing your nuclear bunker. What do you take with you to watch? Oh, I was going to say first, I do take books. I take books to
0: read. Um, books, books, books. Um, right now, Succession. Oh, my God, I'm dying.
1: Oh. If, if yes, it's a... I had Kieran Culkin on here the other day oh. from Succession. Lovely. Yeah.
0: I'm loving yeah. If you can stream in the bunker, I'm, I'm doing that. Um, you can stream in the bunker. So I'm yes. doing Succession in the bunker. But I also feel like Sound of Music holds up. It just holds up. It's a movie that holds up. And yeah. there's no one like Julie Andrews. I mean, what a goddess. Just mm. oh, yeah. elegant and fantastic. And like I like old school movies also. I like the 50s, the Catherine Hepburns, the Bringing Up Babies. I love those.
1: Great choices. Um, what is your dream dinner companion? Sorry, who <laughs> is your dream dinner companion, living or dead?
0: Oh, that's so hard. I want to think of something so fantastic, you know, but it might have been one of um, Henry VIII's last wives. (laughs) Was Anne Boleyn his last one, right? Just want to go, like, what were you? No, Anne Boleyn was... The first...
1: It was Catherine... Catherine... Catherine, um, Oh, I'm blanking on her last name. So Catherine of Aragon, Anne of Cleves, Anne Boleyn... And then the other three names have gone out of my head. But the last one was called Catherine something.
0: Well, for those, you kind of want to go, what were you thinking?
1: (laughs) Didn't the (laughs) the six months before you tell you
0: anything? And (laughs) and then you kind of get into, like, this psychology of this amazing um, duty and love and that idea that you're special, that it won't happen to you. You know what I mean? That's one companion. In another way, I'm so loving listening to the Esther Perel podcasts. Do you know? Oh,
1: I love Esther Perel. Can you imagine sitting down to dinner with her and just having like... I'm actually quite scared of her though.
0: Really? Because <laughs> you think she'll see through you? Yeah.
1: Oh, well, that I don't mind. It's more that she doesn't beat around the bush. Like she gives you quite harsh advice. I think in a good way, it's it's a uh, useful. But she just tells it like it is. But I love that real
0: home truth. You're listening mm. to her, listening to two people, and then she just goes, "Well, you know, well you are you're constantly interrupting her, and you are not listening to her at all. So how can she begin to feel that she is important in your life?" You're like, Dum. "Exactly what?" I'm saying. So it would be so fun to have her. I guess she wouldn't be a dinner companion, but if you ask me who I would I want as a therapist, I'd be like. As a
1: morale, hands down, I'd want her to do this. Oh, I love that choice. You know, I wish you would, having just heard you do her voice, I just need you to play her in a movie now. Yes. Please. Let me, please. (laughs) Can we make that happen? Um, So what about the toughest scene you've ever had to play? There was a very,
0: well, i tell you, on on stage, I had a super hard scene to play, and it was in the seagull. And it was... um, In Central Park, and you know it was a cast of only names: Meryl Streep, Kevin Kline, uh, Natalie Portman, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, no big deal. Like like yeah, every single. Oh, Philip
1: Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, Philip
0: and yeah, um, Stephen Spinell. I mean, it just went on. John Goodman, Christopher Walken, Deb Monk, Larry Pine. Everybody's in it, and me. And it was the opening, one of the opening scenes, if not the. I might have to look at the play again, but where Masha has to say the famous lines, you know, Spinella says, oh, Masha, why do you always wear black? And she says, I'm in mourning for my life. And Mike wanted me to play it a certain way, like a bit, like a vaudeville comedian. Like, I'm in mourning for my life. And I did not understand it. I didn't, I was like, no, she's sad. You have to play it for real. She can't, and I, it was, so hard and it was so small it was just that one line that would define everything and by the way he was right and I never got it because I didn't understand it but because I was all about I I'm not ai am I'm not a snide sort of sarcastic person right I'm all very you know upfront and sort of unbearably earnest at times. And he wanted to hurt me to not be that. And I just, I was too young to get it. I didn't understand it. So that was a really, really, really hard scene. Then there's a scene in Pollock with Ed that was hard, but joyous, but hard. Uh, with the, the you need, you need, you need scene.
1: It was very hard. Oh, that movie, you and Ed Harris, oh, nice. you playing Lee Krasner, I mean... There's a reason for the Oscar, really. Well, it goes, I'll tell you, kind of should, I mean, it's really on Ed's
0: shoulders because he directed me in this scene to be kind of more honest than I've, than I, he would always go, just say the line, Marsha, just say the line. And he would do these things to sort of startle me out of whatever delivery I was in. And it was a real gift. I mean, it might have scared other people, but for me, it was such a gift. So while it was hard to get there and kind of hard to emotionally go through it, it was also um, like that was hard because it brought you to a place emotionally because you're going to have to cry because you're going to have to yell because you had to be really open and vulnerable. So that scene with Ed was hard. The other one with Mike Nichols was hard because I, I didn't understand it. And so you just beat yourself up over and over again and you feel like everybody can see that you aren't understanding it and you feel shame which is something I really hate that feeling it's a really shame is like such a powerful teaching tool and I and I and I it was it was very hard eventually
1: later in life when I understood it I was like oh oh now I get it I love what you say about shame being a powerful tool um I'm gonna go ahead and assume that since you love Esther Perel, you've probably listened to a lot of Brene Brown as well talking about shame
0: only a little bit, and I think because it scares mm. me, it's my next thing to do. It's you know it's, it's the huge next... Her work on shame is huge, yep, yep, and it's yeah. like I say it's such a you know it's it's a it's something I carry with me, and I, I need to. I really can't wait to listen to it. That's why I hate when I see people belittling other people or trying to teach now through shame. It's 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 very powerful, but but when you have your own, like having your own shame, is one thing, but people shaming is a, is another, right? It's different. It's yeah, cool.
1: yeah. It's absolutely cruel. Um, what about a character that really got into your head um, and stayed there? In a good way? Either way. Any way you like. <laughs> there's,
0: there's this character that I played with Chris Walken and Morgan Freeman and Bill Macy in a little movie that was called The Lonely Maiden. And then I... Is that what it's still called? I forget if that's what it's still called. Anyway, her name was Rouse. And she had, you know, beauty. She worked in a beauty parlor. So her hair was perfectly coiffed and she had long nails and they were coral. You know, they weren't, they weren't orange. They were coral.
1: I. You're kind of doing like a Jersey accent. Is that like what she was? She was, yes.
0: yes. But that lady, she was that lady. Like, let me describe her bra and you'll get it totally. She had the bullet bra, right? Oh yeah. A little triangle, the bullet bra. And they are, Mm -hmm. and she would wear like a coral turtleneck over the bullet bra to show her figure, she was older. She had a figure like she was that person. A figure, yeah. I love how you say it, right? It Figur. was figure, and so she <laughs> and Chris Walken were married, and I fell in love with creating this character so deeply. Like it was very difficult to not bring her home. I would bring her home. I couldn't leave her at this at the uh, set. I would bring her home, and I would talk like that to the kids, and they'd be like, "Mom, what are you doing?" <laughs> i uh, if i'm gonna do the accent i need to stay in character <laughs> just and it was really like it's sort of true but also sort of bullshit because it was just i loved her so much i didn't want to let her go and she, her bullet Aww. her bullet boobs you know like also i grew up in a time when women were going like this you know you didn't want to hide them you wouldn't you wouldn't like poke out that little triangle bra but she was the, you you also we know her if you saw her if you saw that bullet bra and that turtle little turtleneck, you knew exactly who she was I loved her
1: oh she sounds fabulous um okay the advice you'd give your younger self um honestly don't drink
0: so much don't smoke so much <laughs> Don't smoke cigarettes and don't. Why Why did you do that? Why did you drink and smoke so much? Um, how much time did I lose? That's health advice. I would have told myself to be a little healthier in my choices. Um, but I probably would have told my younger self to read some Bre- Brene Brown. Because um, it was really hard and still to feel that I deserve things. It's always going to be. Um, it always will be something I have to work and tell myself. And I'm super happy right now in my life. So many things are wonderful and I'm feeling in a fantastic place, but I know that if I let down my guard, something will come right up to say, nope, you know, pull you back. You don't deserve. And and that's a little voice that I always have to be very conscious of.
1: Mm Hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way. And again, we're too ashamed to say that. Yeah. So I applaud you for saying it. Um, what's the time you were starstruck? Ha. When's, when am I not? I
0: get so <laughs> tongue tied. Way starstruck with Clint Eastwood when I finally met him. I think I told you this before. So starstruck, I bit a hole in my tongue. Love that. And then yes. And then they had to put ice on my tongue because I had to go perform in the movie that he was directing, and my tongue was swollen. So everything I was saying was lisping. And you know, Eastwood, I'm so sorry I bit my tongue, but i it was excited to meet you. And it was just, it was absolutely <laughs> horrible. So starstruck when I first met Meryl Streep so starstruck. I mean, it's Meryl Streep. And, and I wanted, you know, you, you meet someone like that and you just want them, you want them to want to be your best friend right away. But it's Meryl Streep. And everything they say about her is true. Goddess, loyal, kind, hard worker, inventive, brave, risks, failure, you know, encouraging of other actors. Everything they say about her is true. She is just a goddess truly and you oh i love that yeah and you can't like you might because you're so with starstruck you're so starstruck that you're self-conscious so all you're doing is listening to yourself so nothing comes out normal nothing comes out right your jokes don't have any timing <laughs> you're like oh, shit it worked later it worked early with the other crowd people i'm comfortable with because you're
1: just not comfortable you're starstruck <laughs> i love it um What job do you think you'd be doing if this hadn't worked out?
0: I wanted to be a diplomat, a foreign diplomat, and to kind of bring culture um, from other countries to America and bring American culture to other countries. My dad had introduced me to a a foreign diplomat named Mr. Ball, and I always remembered him. And I just thought, oh, that's kind of a great job. And in a way, I am doing that, in a way, you know, because my work goes around but that was their dedicated job so they would bring music and theater and instruments and it was a little little more um uh, curated and I, I thought that was neat mm. oh or That's and the so other cool. one the other one by the way antonia is being an anthropologist i would love to go oh. but uh, i would love to go like study with um i think you say her name gilda Aldecart, who is the one studying, uh, the orangutans, you know, I would love to go study primatology and all that. I just think it's so fascinating.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, me too. Endlessly fascinated by that stuff. Um, what about your current hero? Who
0: is my current hero? Mm. This very moment Mr. Patagonia,
1: who just donated the entire business to climate yeah. change. I mean, I'm just, it's the best. What an amazing thing to do. Yeah. yeah. It's like sit up and pay attention. Incredible. And the second one mm. is, I think it's Brian, you
0: pronounce it Brian Stevenson, who wrote Just Mercy, um, a lawyer. Yeah. yeah just,
1: both of guy. those journeys
0: are so selfless. And I'm aware that I didn't say a woman, but I, so many women are my heroes, you know. From I really, honestly, Oprah Winfrey, I think she's freaking amazing. But the first one that came yeah. to my mind was Mr. Patagonia because he
1: just did something so selfless and he's been such an incredible leader. Oh, yeah, that's a great answer. Now, last question Who would play you in the biopic of your life? And you have so many stories to tell of amazing, amazing roles you've played, experiences on sets. I've only heard a fraction of them and every single one is like the best story ever. Well, so whoever plays you better be good. I love <laughs> Melissa McCarthy. I frigging love her. Oh, I God, love her timing. Yes, brilliant.
0: I love her humor. I love her heart. Um, if, she, if someone like Melissa would play me, I'd be so absolutely thrilled just thrilled. And there oh, was that's such a good choice. One thing that you asked me earlier about like what, what advice would you would give to yourself? And I said to not do those things. There's also an advice that an acting teacher once said to me, and it's the thing that I just always remember. We might've even talked about it before where they, where it's literally just, you are enough. No matter where you are, you yeah. are enough. And I think that resonates with me always. When I go someplace and, uh, why should I? Or I start beating myself up. Or I don't feel I can. I just, Stop it. You are enough. And everything just goes into perspective. Suddenly you're like, oh, okay. You know, it's mm-hmm. that simple. And mm-hmm. it's I think that's kind of helpful. It is that simple. For young people, I think that's helpful mm-hmm. to remember. Because they're desperately yeah. trying to be somebody else. They are desperately trying to be something different and somebody else. And look different. And all of, you know... All of that's fine to have Mm -hmm. ideals, but they forget that, you know, not ideals, but like looks goals and lashes goals and all that stuff, but they forget that they're actually enough just as they are.
1: Yeah, very well said. Yeah. Well... I want to thank you, Marsha Gay Harden, for being on the podcast today. Thank you. Uh, What a treat. What a real treat to talk to you, as always. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you again, Marsha Gay Harden. Don't forget to check out the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and read our Awards Line magazine in print and at Deadline.com. With Lucky Lance you can get lucky just about anywhere.